0: It's uh, just to show you a personal thing. I honestly believe that I have the responsibility of trying to discern what God wants me to say in front of you and then he puts the people there to hear it. It's always a a little bit of an adventure to me when I see what it is I'm supposed to say and then I see who's here to listen to it. I don't understand any of that. I'll be the first to admit that I don't. I've never been one to impose on people the regulation have come into church every time the door was open. But I had a grandfather that was like that. And I'm not an evangelist. I do not have the gift of evangelism, although I witness and I preach the witness. But every so often, It seems to me, and I guess it seemed to God this week, that we would preach the old time that some of you call the the hellfire and brimstone preaching, the old hard preaching, the preaching that kind of gets our attention and makes us stiffen up and say, boy, I was glad to get out of that place. But I have to tell you, that for me, in watching what little bit of news that I do, it keeps me stirred up by what's going on in the world. That's always been somewhere in the world. But it further stirs me up to know that it's happening where I live to some extent with people that I know. You see things coming out that you did, wished you didn't have to see. This morning is a sermon like that. You can turn to the first chapter of Romans if you want to. It's a sermon on sin. Sin. and a part that, a sermon that it's hard to dodge each person's individual part in all of this because there's some of it in all of us. I don't feel like that I'm special at all because I'm here. Because when I get there, I have to work just as hard, I believe, as you do to try to keep them doing the very things that I talk about up here. We all do, and I don't make exceptions for myself. Now, the first chapter of Romans is dealing about one set of special sins And I'm not going to go straight to that because the same thing that applies to that sin applies to all sin. And that's the things I want to bring to our attention this morning is about this whole issue of sin in our lives. And the fact that sometimes we wink at things we do and say, well, maybe that's not too bad. So we'll get into it. In the first chapter of Romans, in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth of in unrighteousness wait wait a minute now you added a word in there yes I did because that's what it means that word who the people who are holding the truth of righteousness are holding it down the word means they're suppressing it they're trying to keep you from finding out how bad sin is that way you'll suffer from it just like they do But God's wrath, that's a bad word, folks, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, things that are not that God approves of and are not right. And he he comes down from heaven on stuff like that. In verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown them, who is them, sinners, what can be known of him. He's an invisible God. We can't see him. We've never seen him. We won't ever see him, I don't think. We'll see Jesus, but I don't know that we'll ever see God or the Holy Spirit. Because that which may be known of God, and we can't know everything about God, but that which can be known by men, by his creation, by human beings, is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has shown us, all of us, what can be known. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now look, we can look around. Some of you are into flowers. Some of you appreciate the woods and the mountains and the hills and the, the water and the lakes and the creeks and the rivers. And you see God in those things that he created, it says here in Romans. You ought to know who I am because of what I created. You've got all that to look at just because you can't see me. You've seen what I've done. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. He says that by looking around at what I have created, you ought to be understood or ought to understand that somebody who created these kind of things has the power to do that and to be the boss of everything. That ought to be something you can assume, he says, by just looking around at what I created. Now, that's the way he looks at things. Now, like I've said before, if you're going to be successful in this business of being a Christian, Christian, there's one or two things you're going to have to understand. And one thing is, we're going to have to look at things the way God looks at it. Because it's not a ball game that we came up with. It's his game, not ours. And in order to be successful at it, if we're going to be the number one hitter, we've got to do it his way. So that they're without excuse. He says, from the way I look at things, you ought to be able Living in this earth, in this world, with all the things I've created, you ought to be able to see that there, number one, there is a God and that he has power to make all this stuff. And number three, that he's in charge of everything. You ought to be able to see that. Because that, verse 21, when they knew God, all right, they've known God now. He said, I've already shown it to them. So they knew something about God. Maybe they didn't enjoy the relationship with him through Jesus Christ like we all do. But they knew something about him. They glorified him not as God. They didn't treat him like a God. They didn't recognize him as being the God that did all this. Neither were they thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. Their thinkings, that's the word imaginations, what they think about is empty. That's the word vain. They became empty-headed in thinking about it. Their thoughts weren't worth anything. And their foolish heart was darkened. They can't learn anything. They can't see anything. They became foolish or empty in their thinking. They weren't using their spiritual mind to think like God shows us to do. They were using their natural mind. They went back to their old man when they had a choice. They went back to their old man and thought of things from their old side. Their unsaved minds so that their heart was blind to the truth. Therefore, God, because of all this, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. He gave them up. That's the point. We chose to be to do dirty things and ungodly things and unrighteous things to the point that God says, "Okay, that's the way you want to be. I'll make it easier for you." It's like a puppeteer that's got strings on There's puppets. And they can't do but just what the puppeteer allows them to do. And God just cuts the strings. All right, you won't listen to me. You won't do what I'm trying to tell you to do. I'll just cut the string. You can do whatever you want to do. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now listen to that and what it's saying. Every one of us knew something about God and his plan of salvation in order for us to become Christians. There are other people who knew something about God. But they didn't become Christians. Why? Because they wouldn't keep what they knew about God in their head. They chose to go a different route. And God gave them over to reprobate minds. I've told you before, I did a study one time, took three days on this reprobate mind. That's a mind that God says is no good for anything. Now when God tells you your mind is no count, that's not a human's opinion. (laughs) That's about as good as it gets. That word, or it's in another place. There is a word, the word simple, Their minds became simple. That's a fascinating word. That word really translates seducible. Now that creates a whole different idea to that particular verse. That when God, through the work of his Holy Spirit, is trying to get them to accept his things and the things of Jesus Christ and salvation and the good things that he wants for them to have. Satan is over here baiting them with all kinds of stuff that feels good and tastes good and looks good. And makes them feel like they're important. And other people look at them and say, Boy, that's something that new car you got or that new house you got or that new suit you got or whatever. And being seducible means that we're weak enough to fall for Satan's bait and forget about God's. That's that war that I talk about we're in that Paul talked about in the 7th chapter of Romans that we're in. we're in We're in a combat zone and Satan is putting his stuff in there and God's putting his stuff and we're in the middle trying to make a choice, trying to make a good choice but there's some of us who are so seducible that we'd rather do the things that make us feel good than we had to do the things that we know are right. That's what it boils down to. Gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That word convenient is another word that we don't use anymore like they used it. That means that they chose to do things that are not suitable for God and not acceptable with God. They did things that they knew God wouldn't like in order to get things that would make them feel good. And there's the struggle right there. And that's where we wind up. Verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God, these people knew enough about God, God says, to know that I don't like what they're doing. And they've heard something about what I do to people who don't do what I want them to do. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. God says for you to make the wrong choices really truly means you're not fit to be here. Those people who make those bad choices and see people doing the bad things not only do it just like the other would do it, but they have pleasure in them that do it also. What do they call it, running with a bad crowd? Running with the same old crowd you used to run with? I've talked with people who have drug problems and I tell them, you're not going to ever get away from your drug problem until you get away from the people that you're hanging out with that are involved with drugs too. But these people not only couldn't be strong enough to make good decisions, they enjoyed being around people who were making the wrong decisions that they knew about. Now that's the way God sees our situation. And his wrath comes down from heaven on those that are like that. There's something I, I did in my Bible years ago, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I don't know. But I happened to run across two scriptures that said, God says, you don't need to feel sorry for those people. They're sinners and they're suffering from their sin. That's no tale. That's no lie. But you don't need to feel sorry for them. They chose that way. They asked for it. And I thought, last week I preached that at one point we'll be on white horses with Jesus. And we'll be on the hill looking down in the valley of Megiddo where hundreds of thousands and millions of people are going to die. And the blood's going to run as deep as the bits on the horse's mouth. And the thought just from nowhere came to my mind and there'll be some of God's people who are sitting on those white horses looking at all that death in the valley and they'll have sympathy for them. That's been on my mind all week. I pulled up those two scriptures and I wanted to share them with you because it shows a side of God that we might not think about very much. We love this this thing called God's love because it's a good thing. makes us feel good. It's a warm thing, you know. but there's another side. And we need to hear, just ever so often we need to hear about it. Turn, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to see a side of God that's not always used in the New Testament. In Proverbs chapter 1, In verse 24. He says to us, some of us, not necessarily to you or to me, but to humans, his creation. He says in verse 24, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded it. That's the kind of people he's talking about. But ye have said it naught all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I've tried to scold you, I've tried to warn you, I've tried to show you, and you just don't want any part of it. I also will laugh at your calamity. Have you ever associated your God laughing at somebody because they was in trouble. But that's what he says. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. I mean, things are going bad for these people. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, because I've told you over and over and over, don't do it this way, do it this way. Don't think this way, think this way. But you chose to go the other way. Then shall they call upon me, but I'll not answer them. Have you ever, thought that you would call on God and he wouldn't answer you. But there's some that he does because he wrote it here. I don't think it's God's, God's people, his Christians, Jesus's bunch. I don't believe it's them. But there's a lot of people that out here in the world, they go the wrong way and then when things turn on them, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early. In other words, diligently is what he's saying. I mean, they get up early in the morning trying to find me and they can't find me because I won't show myself to them. But they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They didn't choose to acknowledge who I was or to listen to my advice. They chose to make their own decisions and do their own way. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, here it is in verse 31, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. I can remember my mom when I was little telling me, I tried to tell you, you wouldn't listen. You were going to have to do it your way, and now it's coming up. You asked for it, and I'm going to have to stand back and watch you have to eat what you chose and be filled with their own devices. I showed Judy this morning, I do weird things. I'm a radical old booger anyhow. You know that. I went and found me a red ink pen. And right under that verse 31, I drew a big red line. A bold red line. I have heard in all of this talk about the government and about the Arabian countries and them doing this and them doing that and he, he, he made a line and he said you can't cross this line or the United States will do so and so and because of that I drew a big red line I mean I can't even get within four or five pages of that place in my Bible without seeing that big red line because you see that tells me that God draws a line too He said, I've tried. I've tried and you wouldn't listen. So I've come to a place on some people. Now look, this is not groups. This is not the world. This is not countries. I don't believe. I believe it has to do with individuals. God draws a line when a certain person says, Lord, I don't want no more to do with you. I've heard about you, but I don't want nothing to do with you. He said, I've drawn the line. Now you've crossed the line. 32. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. There's that word, simple. The turning away of, of the seducible those that Satan can influence and make them them do what he wants them to do, what feels good, what looks good, who makes me feel important. For the turning away of the simple, the seducible, shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Now that word prosperity is another word that's not used like we use it now. What he's saying there, the prosperity of fools is this. There are people who don't worry about hard times because they think they got enough money to keep them out of trouble. There it is. Oh, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I think I got enough money in the You know, these people in their retirement, and I mean, I hear all this stuff about buying gold and all that. I never had enough money to buy gold. But they feel like they have security. I can remember several years ago, I had some rich friends. Who I was working for in the horse business, you got to have money to have show horses. And there was a downturn in the stock market. One guy remembers a good friend of mine lost a half million dollars in his retirement account. That's big. And I mean it tore him up. It wasn't that he had to do without anything tomorrow. He didn't have to not eat breakfast the next morning. He couldn't go out and buy, not buy a new car tomorrow or he couldn't still go on his vacation trip next week and he'd been planning all year. It wasn't like that. It was money lost on paper. The prosperity of food. They think that I've got enough money to where I don't have to worry about that. That paints a pretty bad picture right there of what not to do. But look at what it says in verse 33, and I like this because he always winds up those bad ones with something that kind of gives you a good feeling. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet or at ease, at peace from fear of evil. You want to have a blessed life? Just listen to God. I mean, he's gone down through this whole thing right here telling us about it. Now listen to Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 11. No point in turning there. I can read it to you. It's just like the other. Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him for the reward of his hand shall be given him. He asked for it, as far as I'm concerned, God says. That's the side of God, the God that I have served all my life just about, that I was pretty well on up there in age before I realized there was a side like that. I've come to you, I've tried to tell you, you wouldn't do so I've drawn a line. That's it. I was sitting there this morning in the dark going over this again before I had to preach it. And I remember the scripture I learned in Sunday school as a kid. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. My Sunday school teachers when I was a kid explained to me and now that I've got old enough to understand things and to read it for myself and prove it to myself that God's all, not always there knocking on your door. And essentially what he told me was God draws a line and he don't come around no more. This scripture says, seek him while he can be found. If he's knocking on your door, you better go open it. There's no knob on the outside. You've got to open it for him and call on him while he's near enough to hear you. See, I know about all those scriptures in the New Testament that talk about he always hears you. But he doesn't. Whoso stoppeth his ear at the cry of the poor, he himself shall cry out, and I won't hear him. So there's times when God doesn't hear my prayers. If I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm says, God will not hear me. If I know that something evil is going on in my mind, my thinking process, and I leave it there, ain't no use for me to pray. We think that we're so important, we're so special, that we can just do anything we want to do, and God's always there. But now, you let your Holy Spirit tell you what it will tell you about what we just looked at. But there's something, too, I'd like to show you in Second Peter, Chapter One. In verse 2, 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 2. Peter says, well, let me just start out because he introduces himself in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter said, I'm writing this letter to the people who are in the same place I am. You've come to salvation through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, Now, think about something right there. I've been studying this thing of Christian counseling now for three or four months. I've got a lot of good information. But Peter says right there, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness. Now, if you go to somebody and ask their advice about a problem you're having, there's two words that cover every single problem you have or will ever have. And one of them has to do with your life. What could you go to somebody and ask advice for that didn't apply to your life? This horizontal relationship that you have here on earth with everybody around you and godliness. There's another question you might need answered that has to do with your vertical life, that between you and God, between you and folks, that's your life, and between you and God, that's your godliness. That covers everything you'll ever have to ask about. And it says, hath given unto us all things that pertain to that, through the knowledge of him that hath taught us to glory and virtue. That's, That's Jesus. If we know Jesus and we have Jesus as our Savior, everything that we have a question about can be answered in this book. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature of God. You will put on Jesus Christ and have his nature. Just like your, your nature as a creation will be the nature of Jesus who created us having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. What is the corruption in the world through lust? Being seduced by Satan. Doing those things that feel good and taste good and how people say nice things about us. We as believers in Jesus Christ, have everything available that we need to answer any question we have about our life or our relationship with God. It's coming through that book right there. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings to our remembrance everything that Jesus ever said, That's the whole book. And he's the one that shows us which applies to this particular situation that we're asking about right now. So the Holy Spirit of God, whom God has placed in us, who lives in us 24-7, uses this book to show us how to be just like Jesus. That's the basis for the whole, whole program, whole plan. But that's what happens from God's standpoint. From people that he has tried to reach and they won't respond. They choose to go the other way with him all the time saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. No, no, you don't need to do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold up. We just keep on going. There are people like that. You know them. I know them. I've said something to them. Some of them even kin to me that I care for. And I've asked them, you you don't need to be doing this. That's not a good way to go. And God's talking about them. You think you know them. I know them better than you do because I created them. I put them together. I planned them. They got this color hair and this face looking thing and they've got the six foot five instead of four foot eleven. All because of me. I know them better than you. And I couldn't turn them around either. So it comes to a place where I just drew the line. have you ever been around anybody that says he realized that God's drawn a line on me I can't I, I, I can't ever be a Christian how do you know that I just do well you see I don't believe it I have to believe that everybody has a choice to choose Jesus. I have to believe that. Because I'm going to say something to them. I'm going to give them a chance. And if they turn me down, the only thing having this knowledge does to me is understanding they may never be or maybe they're just not going to be right now. So I'll come back when I get another opportunity and I'll talk to them again. How do I know they're not going to respond when they're dead? That's what Satan is trying to do to us. He's trying to kill us all so we won't have a chance to turn to Jesus. It says so in scriptures. For everybody that stands in a classroom with a high-powered rifle, and kills 8 or 10, 12, 15 students, or 27, or whatever the number is, Satan's got to be excited about that because every one of them that are not a Christian will never have a chance to be one. And that's his plan. That's his plan for us. That I can't do any more good for God because I'm dead. I'm out of the way. We need to understand that, folks. Because right now, we're getting a lot of bad news coming at us from every direction. And we can't help but wonder a little bit. I have people now that constant, or every two or three days, somebody's mentioned about, you know, they talk about the earthquakes and the storms and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's beginning to happen. People know about that stuff. And they're watching it. How many earthquakes does it take? I don't know. How many storms does it take? I don't know. How close are we to the end? I don't have a clue. (laughs) I can't answer that. But he tells us about that. So what am I saying to you? What's the message? The message is if you've got somebody like that that's in your life that you have any influence on whatsoever, please tell them about Jesus. Well, you see, I've been to them four times before. It don't matter. Go back. Tell them again. Because you never know when this time will be the time that the Holy Spirit of God is inside them and said, you better believe this. It's time for you to believe it. You better seek him while he can be found then you better call on him while he's close because the next time that you decide it's time for you to go he may not be around I don't understand all that I just know what it says but it's bad news for some you got to admit that let's pray Father I thank you for calling us. I thank you for being close enough that we could find you. I thank you for teaching us, making us understand some things about you, that we know the difference between a lot of rights and a lot of wrongs because of your influence on our life. Lord, again, I thank you for being our God. I don't know what I'd do without you. And Lord, I pray for us that we might have enough concern on those that are going the wrong way to say something. that might turn them to you. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.